Before we get into the Word of God, let me pray. Lord God, we're so aware that, that uh, in fact, you are painting your story on the canvas of, of our lives and on generations. And uh, it's wonderful to come back here to this family who has been so dear to us uh, for so long and to, to be ministering in word uh, from your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that this morning my words would indeed be your words and that you would speak to us, that you would somehow in this mysterious way you would minister to each of us individually as we look at a little passage of your word. So we pray you would be with us now as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as a person grows, as we mature as disciples of Jesus, it's very important that we develop and acquire some very specific skills. It's a little bit like the development of a little baby. There are stages in our development that are, are really crucial. I mean, for instance, a baby needs to very early on develop the skills necessary to suck milk from their mother's breast. They need to uh, uh, develop the ability to, to hold their head up unaided. They need to develop the ability to, to roll over, to begin crawling, to eventually put one foot in, in front of another and begin walking. And all of those skills, as any proud parent will tell you, are, are celebrated with great joy. Mind you, if a child can't roll over by, say, nine months, there's clearly something abnormal about the child's development. And the same could be said about all of those milestones. There's a, a, a window, if you like, a, a time frame in which development of those skills is considered normal. When those skills, those very basic, necessary skills aren't acquired, then we all recognise that something is kind of wrong here. This is not really the way it should be. You know, one of the very necessary and fundamental skills for the disciple of Jesus is the skill of service. It's, it's, a, it's a very necessary, basic aspect of being a follower of Jesus. And when this skill doesn't develop, there's clearly something abnormal, something wrong or unhealthy in that person's spiritual life. Now, I'm not suggesting that learning to serve is, is easy. Eugene Peterson, in his wonderful little commentary, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, says, this skill is so difficult to acquire and liable to so many misunderstandings that it's necessary to single it out for special attention. So this morning, I want to look at Psalm 123. Psalm 123 does exactly that. It singles out the skill of service for very special attention. It doesn't tell us what to do, as is so often the case in the Psalms. It, it, it doesn't give us detailed instructions as to just exactly what we should do, but rather it gives us an instance, a, a snapshot, if you like, of what is done by someone who has already acquired the skill of service. It's not unlike the way many of us learn to play sport. You know, I remember when our youngest son, Jordan, for those who don't know, he's the guy that was playing bass over here. When, when, when young Geordie was, was a little lad, he needed a haircut back then, didn't he? 
I like his hair. You know, when, when he was our youngest son, Jordan, when he started playing rugby league, which is quite a few years ago now, he since has had to stop because of quite a few pretty serious head injuries. And, uh, but if you watched him play footy, right, right at the very beginning when he was a little kid, before he'd been to any training sessions with, with, with a team, you would straight away recognise that he had already acquired a whole host of rugby league skills. Many times I've seen his chip and chase bamboozle kids almost twice his age out on the street. Josh and Toby would probably disagree with that, but I saw, I saw what was going on. He had really good passing and, and kicking skills and he had a whole head full of strategic plays before he'd ever played his first proper game. The point I want to make revolves around the question of how Geordie learnt those specific skills in the first place. I can guarantee he didn't sit down and read through the rule book, read it right through. He didn't even learn those skills initially by throwing the ball around with his brothers and sisters and he certainly didn't learn them from me. So the question was how did he learn those skills? Well, initially he learnt those skills by watching thousands upon thousands of snapshots, instances where skilled players executed the various moves on TV. You see, Geordie watched, he, he didn't invent the chip and chase, but he watched people like Billy Slater and Andrew John, skilled players, execute the move with precision and finesse. And then he developed his own skills by doing it over and over and over out on the road in front of the house, either on his own or, or with his mates. You know, it's exactly the same with us. We learn the skill of service by watching others serve and then simply copying them, doing it ourselves. You know, there are lots of people here at Lakes who know well this skill of service. Unfortunately, there are also a lot probably who've never learnt the skill of service. And for those who are new, and you're thinking, who is this guy that he comes up here visiting speaker and he can say that, well, I reckon after 13 years, I can say, yeah, no, I've seen. I've seen there are some people who will come along every week and have a meal on Sunday night, never once pick up a tea towel, never do a thing, no service at all. Maybe this message is for you. You know, that is really sad, not just because the work doesn't get done, that's sad because it says something about your growth as a Christian. It says something is not quite right with you spiritually and it's sad because very simply you're missing out. You're missing out. You know, when we get in there and do stuff together, serving the Lord together, great stuff happens. It really does. Something, something bigger happens in, in a sense than the sum of the parts. It's almost this intangible connectedness that happens. Now, a bonding between brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow servants of the King, and when that happens, real joy. But it kind of doesn't make sense. Happens. Psalm 123, it isn't a comprehensive rule book. It doesn't tell us what to do. It's simply a snapshot of what is done when a disciple of Jesus learns the skill of service. It's a snapshot, if you like, of players 
playing the game. So let's open the Word of God. Let's look together at Psalm 123. I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We look to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes on their master. As a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. For we have had our fill of contempt. We've had our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. So what is the first thing we see as we look at this little snapshot of servanthood? Well, the first thing revolves around us assuming the right posture. Verse 1 says, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. First thing we notice is that service always begins with an upward look, an upward look to God. We don't look across at God, we don't look at him and we certainly don't look down at him. Service always begins with an upward look to God. See, God is over us in every way. God is above us, greater than us and he has authority over us and the whole universe in every way. You know, what you believe deep in here in all situations impacts your attitude, your behaviour, your stance in that situation. We need to make sure that what we believe about God is true and accurate. Now, if you believe that God is almighty God, the all-powerful one who speaks the stars into existence, the one who is all-knowing, the one who is always present, that will change your stance, your posture before him. Now, to put it very bluntly, if you've struggled to learn the skill of Christian service, it may well be because you have a wrong belief about God and therefore that belief translates into a wrong posture before him. The thing is, it's easy to get the wrong idea about the nature of our relationship with God. And it's easy to start off the Christian life on the wrong foot. You see, when a Christian, when a person becomes a Christian, when they decide to be a follower of Jesus, suddenly there is this new sense of confidence and control over their life. Sins which in the past had great power over us begin to diminish in their, their potency. We find in the scriptures a wealth of knowledge and wisdom which speaks directly to the problems of our daily life. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell literally within us. He guides us into all righteousness. That's what the word says. He convicts us of sin and he shows us how to live as God would want us to live. And on top of that, we read in the scriptures, passages like Luke 11, 9, where Jesus says, Ask and you will receive. Seek. And you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. And we find in the scriptures Jesus making amazing statements about himself, saying, I came to serve, not to be served. And Jesus encouraged us to address our Heavenly Father as, as Abba, as Daddy. And through his death on the cross, Jesus opened the way to God. And we, we, now, have the, we now have instant access to the Father any time of the day or night, regardless of our sinfulness, 
we can speak directly with the living God. I mean, it's just the most amazing situation. But with all of that before us, it's not hard to see how easily we can assume the wrong posture before God, assuming the role of, of master and presuming to order him around. But see, God is not a servant to be called into action when we can't be bothered doing something ourselves. He is not our own private advisor or consulting professional to help us over the difficulties that arise from time to time. The Christian life is not about skulking around the courts of Almighty God lobbying for special favours. He's not someone we go to when we feel like a bit of a a pick-me-up or a laugh. I've talked to lots of people over the years like that. They go, I'm feeling a bit down. I just want to put on some worship songs. I really like those ones that just tell me how much God loves me and how, you know, I'm going to heaven and everything's great. I think sometimes we can can treat God like a, you know, a bit of a a pick-me-up pill. Jesus lived out the life of a servant so that we might join him in a redemptive life. Because it's just a better way to live. And he knows that. Jesus came to serve us out of submission and obedience to the Father's will, not ours. I mean, we can, we can get it so wrong. And the longer you get it wrong, the more you think you're right. Too often we we, we view the Christian life as a a kind of far-off, mysteriously run bureaucracy to which we apply for assistance as we we have need. We go to the local branch office and direct the office clerk, the pastor, to fill out our order for God. We then head out of home and, and await the delivery of our order. Friends, this is not how it works. And if you pause for a moment and think about it, it can't possibly be the way it works. And we wouldn't want it to work that way. You see, if God is God at all, if God is God at all, he's got to be the kind of God that is worth worshipping, worth serving. And he must know heaps more about our needs than we do. He he must be more in touch with the reality of our thoughts, our emotions, the intricate details of our physiology. He must know more about what's going on with our flesh and blood, our, our bodies, than we do, if he is God at all. If he is God at all, he must know more about the web of our relationships. He must know more about all the interrelations in our families, our workplace, our communities, than we do. See, the only right and proper stance before God is one where we assume the position of a servant on bended knee, awaiting a word from our master. The thing is, I think ultimately, if you think about it, we wouldn't want it any other way. I don't believe we would. We would very quickly become contemptuous of a God who we could get our head around or a God who was little more than a tool in our hand, not unlike the genie from Aladdin's lamp. 
Now, if God is God at all, if he is worth our attention, he must be a God who we can look up to. Actually, he needs to be a God who we must look up to. And as soon as we do this, as soon as we get our posture before him right, looking up to him, not over at him or down at him, we're on the beginning point of learning the skill of service. So that's the first thing we need to learn. Get your posture before God right. The second element in service has to do with our expectation. When we're looking up at God, what do we expect from God? As we look up to him, what do we expect from him? Is it right to expect anything from him? Is it right to look up to him with an expectation about how he may respond to us? I mean, it is true that we can't fully shrink-wrap God. I mean, he is the ultimate untamed one. He is the wild one. And we can never really know how God will react in a given situation simply because he's God and we're not. But that doesn't mean that we don't know anything about God. We shouldn't behave as though... We never know what to expect from him, nervously living on the edge all the time, wondering what he might do. You see, God has revealed much about himself to us through his word and particularly through the life of Jesus. You know, I often ask the question, is Jesus like God? What do you reckon? Is Jesus like God? Jesus is God, but is Jesus like, say, the Father? Is Jesus like God? Everyone's nodding. I would say no. No, I would say the Father is like Jesus. You see, none of us have seen the Father. But there were plenty of people who saw Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The problem is you can get a messed up idea of who God is because you haven't seen him. What was Jesus like? Well, there's a whole lot of things written about him, but he seems very, very gentle. They said he wouldn't even snuff out a a wick or break a bruised reed. You know, I think it's interesting that when he finds the woman caught in adultery, remember that? The woman who's caught in adultery and she's dragged by these people, they're going to stone her to death. They They drag her before Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus is the word of God. Everything in the universe was made through him. Who wrote the Old Testament law? Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And what does the Old Testament law say should happen to the woman caught in adultery? She should be stoned to death. (laughs) That's what Jesus said in the Old Testament law. But when the woman is actually caught, it's probably Mary Magdalene, when she's caught in adultery and dragged before him, what does Jesus say? That's right. And who left first? No, who left first? No, no, the older ones. <laughs> the oldest there. The ones who went, ooh. It was the younger ones who were last to leave. <laughs> but I think it's very interesting that the one who writes the law who is the word of God. When it comes down to it, 
he shows mercy. He says, where are they who would condemn you? He goes, well, they've all left. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and don't keep sinning like this. He loves her. So what can we expect from God when we look up to him? Mercy. We can expect mercy. And this is what the psalmist is getting at. See, three times in the psalm, these few little verses, we look up to the Lord our God, this is verse 2, for his mercy. Just as servants keep their eyes on their master as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. Have mercy on us, Lord, Yahweh. Have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. We have had our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. You see, the basic expectation of the Christian life, one of the core beliefs that we can hold on to, is that God always intends good for us. God always wants the best for us. So when you're in that situation where you're saying, Lord, what are you doing? It's good to hang on to that, isn't it? Go, even though this seems like it's really bad, I know that God always wants the best for me. And he will get his way in us. Ultimately, another truth which the disciple can hang on to is that God never treats us according to what we deserve. I love that. But rather, he treats us accordingly according to what he desires for us. Which, as I've just said, is always good. See, God is not some kind of cosmic police officer on patrol looking to give us a ticket at the first opportunity. He, he's not looking for a chance to throw us into jail. And despite what many people believe, he's not looking for an opportunity to throw you into hell. When asked about this, Jesus said, oh, it's not my Father's will that anyone would go to hell. You're wondering what hell is? Hell's that place that God provides for all those people who say, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want to see his face. I don't want to hear his voice. I don't want anything to do with God. And God loves our crea- his creation so much and he loves us that he gives us will and he says, okay, I'll make a place where I'm not. You can go there because that's what you want. See, rather, the Bible paints a picture of God as a potter working with the clay of our lives over and over again. He is forming and reforming the clay of our lives. Finally, he will get what he has made, what he has shaped, a Christ-like life, fit for eternity in the kingdom of God. See, when the psalmist cries out, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy, he's not trying to convince God to do something that God is essentially unwilling to do. He's not begging God to change his mind. He's, he's reaching out for the very thing that we can expect from God, mercy. You see, this is the, the real motivation for a life of service, the mercy of God. It really is. 
Not that we might earn the mercy of God by serving him, but the other way around. You see, we serve firstly because God is over us, we look up to him. And secondly, we serve God because it is the only right response to his mercy. That's why we serve God. Because he's merciful and he has been merciful. You see, we live under the mercy of God. It envelops us, it surrounds us and it shelters us. You see, some people think that we're lining up before God waiting for him to make an assessment of us. You know, waiting for him to make a judgment about our competence or our commitment to him or our our worth. That is completely wrong. We live, each of us, we live under the mercy of God and he rules us, guides us and leads us as dearly loved children whose destinies are carried in him. You know, Jesus said that we need to become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. For a moment, I just want you to imagine a a little child, say a a two-year-old, a little, you know, a little, is there anything in the world as lovely as a little two-year-old? I can't believe people say the terrible twos. <laughs> a two-year-old is just, just wonderful. Just imagine a little two-year-old from a loving family. I mean, this child feels absolutely secure with mum and dad and grandparents and brothers and sisters and it's never known any different. It feels loved and accepted. It doesn't feel as though it has to earn its place in the family. It doesn't feel as though it has to earn the love of its parents, the acceptance and love of the family just is. It just is. And the child responds lovingly to its parents because it lives under the envelope of its parents' love. We live under the envelope of God's love and mercy. Jesus called it the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God. That's the envelope under which we live. And we don't need to earn our place there. We don't. We are there by the grace of God. And our desire to serve him very simply flows from that understanding. So we serve firstly because God's over us, we look up at him. Secondly, we serve because it's the only right response to the abundant mercy and love of God. Thirdly, this psalm speaks of the urgency of our service. Have a look at the final words of the song. Have mercy on us, Yahweh, Lord, have mercy. For we've had our fill of contempt. We've had our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. You know, servitude has become just part of the human experience since, well, literally Adam was a boy. All throughout our history, we seem to naturally oppress and enslave others. And even today, when supposedly slavery has been abolished, Do you realise there are more slaves in the world today than there has been at any other time in human history? Just a horrendous situation. 
Can you hear the desperation of the psalmist cry? We've had our fill of contempt, our fill of the scoffing of the proud, the contempt of the arrogant. You see, even when we think we're free, we're really having ourselves on. We're slaves to material comfort. We're slaves to our fleshly desires. We're slaves to our anxieties and fears. We're slaves to what other people think about us. We're, some of us are slaves to our fear of conflict. We're slaves to our belief in peace at any cost. We're slaves to the bank. Because somehow we need to fund our need for more and more and consequently we're slaves to the boss. Even when we think we're free, so often we're not. But you know what? Disciples of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of the heavens, those who live under the envelope of the mercy of God, they've seen a better way, a better way to live. And they know that we all serve someone And they know who it is they want to serve. And they're desperate for him. They're desperate to be serving him and him alone. They want God as their Lord and Master because they know it's good and they know he's good and just and they can count on his mercy and as a result... There is an urgency in their attitude. Do you hear the tension in verse 2? Just as servants keep their eyes on their master as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. See, there's an urgency, a desperation, a keenness, a desire, a longing to serve. And I see it in so many of you. You know, I always remember the way that um, old Cole Bevan, who remembers Cole? Cole Bevan, right? I always remember the way, because Cole was always working around the church, a retired electrician, and he's always be doing something, be up a ladder or something, and whenever I'd say, oh, mate, thanks, Cole, for doing that, he'd just, he'd just instantly he'd get tears in his eyes and go, anything for my king, anything for my king. Thought, That's it, isn't it? He's encapsulated, his life just kind of wraps up this psalm. He's just sitting there watching for an opportunity to serve. You couldn't keep him down. Nev Shaw was the same. Anything for my king. Anything for my king. You know, that's exactly what this psalmist is, is saying here. You know that final scene in the uh, return of the king where Aragorn is, is finally crowned and a great host standing before him and every face is beaming. Anything for my king. You know, that, that image, at least for me, captures so well our reality as servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is a wonderful image of kingdom of God reality. Are you wondering who gets the good life? It's one of the big questions, isn't it? Who gets the good life? Are you wondering, how do I have the best life possible? You know, Psalm 123, it gives us just part of the answer. Serve the King. Serve the King. And you'll never be a slave again. You know, I've never met a disciple of Jesus who learned the gift of service, who felt enslaved by it. The freest people on earth are those who are freed from offence, freed from lust, freed from desire, 
freed from anxiety and worry about tomorrow. People who are free to love God and people in the and, and just people who are just free to do what God wants them to do, which is just to love God and, and show mercy to other people, to not have to get revenge. It's so freeing. It really is. You know, Eugene Peterson says that the best New Testament commentary on this psalm is found in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, it's the mercy of God, see? Is this too much to ask, Paul says? See, when he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, surely he doesn't mean kill yourself, give your flesh and blood to God. He can't mean that because he then says that we're to be a living sacrifice. Paul's saying, with God helping you to do it, take your body, take your ordinary, everyday life. You're sleeping, eating, going to bed, going to work, coming home, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Not just thinking about it like a really good intention, but actually doing it with your flesh and your blood. Well, how do you do that? You lay your life down as a living sacrifice by embracing a life of service, first to God and then to others. You know, I talk to so many people who just want a life that counts. People everywhere want to matter. They want purpose and direction. They want to have impact for good. They want to feel good about themselves. And, and, they, and they want to bring to this existence, this life, good things. I just really believe there is nothing more effective in the universe than a life surrendered to Christ. He knows how to have the best life possible. He knows how we should live. He knows what's best for us. And he always wants the best for us. The Lord Jesus says to you, lay it at my feet. Your ordinary, everyday, ordinary life. Submit to my will. Let me teach you how to live your life as I would live it. Don't rely on your own logic and wisdom for life. Serve me. Make that the priority of your life. Serve me and I will lead you into real life. It might be a good idea in light of what we've learnt today from the Word of God to do a bit of a, just a kind of like a heart check right now. Ask yourself, am, how am I going? Am I going in serving the Lord? Can I think of anything I have done in the service of my King in the last week, the last month, the last year? Does service even appear on my schedule. You know, the most unhappy people of all are those who only look after and please themselves. But the most happy are the very opposite. They are those who pour themselves out in service of their king. You know, my prayer today is that each of us, if is that we would continue to learn this skill of service, that we would always assume the right stance before God, always looking up to him, 
always awaiting his command and that we would lay our lives down at his feet, completely surrendered to his will. Let's pray. Lord, your word is always so challenging to us. Lord, I pray we would accept that challenge. I pray that your Holy Spirit has been speaking individually to each of us. Lord, I pray we would not be offended by your word, that we would indeed be challenged. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you a word, I pray that you would just hear that little word, that gentle, quiet voice, and you would make the changes necessary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.